everyone. Welcome to another edition of St. Paul's Letters to America. I'm your host, Ray Gerard, and with me in studio this morning is a new, well, uh, well, he's, he's, I, I found, I was, I was lucky enough to find a, I was going to, well, actually, a new person. I was going to say I found a victim, but no, a person <laughs> uh, to be, uh, to co-host this particular program with me today. His name is Jim Taktrop. Jim, welcome to our podcast. Hi, just glad to be here. Thanks, Ray. So, uh, uh, Jim is Jim is another uh, uh, person that I know who's uh, a man of a man of faith. This is a, I mean, this is basically a podcast where you know, you've just got a couple of uh, lay people, a couple of Catholics uh, who take their faith seriously, uh, just given a lay person's kind of angle on things, and that's kind of who we are. And you know, the other another thing about who we are is, hey, we are Catholic, and so we do like to begin things with prayer. And uh, so, Jim, if uh, you'd care to lead us in a prayer this morning, that'd be great. Okay, thank you. In the name Father, of the Father, Son, Son Holy, Holy Spirit. Spirit. Amen. Amen. Good and gracious Father, you are all goodness and light. Send your Holy Spirit to open our minds and our hearts to more fully understand your word and your perfect plan for us. Through your Son, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, Holy Spirit, amen. Well, thank you for that. Okay, so this is St. Paul's Letters to America, or as we otherwise like to sometimes call it, uh, truth be told. Why? Well, if St. Paul were alive today and wrote a letter to us here in America, he would tell us things that were and are true. Because the truth does not change. It does not change with the times. It does not change from place to place. Today, many people don't need do not even believe there is truth. The truth is what they make, what we make it, they say. It is fluid, they say. It needs to mold to the moment, they say. So how can we know if they're right? How can we know if there is truth? And if there is truth, how can we know it when we hear it? Well, a couple of ways. One is to use our God-given reason to examine and ask what makes sense. Another is to look at, you know, things that produce good results. What, you know, allows us to feel peace instead of anxiety? Well, that is what we do here. We ask those things, we ask those types of questions in the context of some teaching from St. Paul. Uh, so let's get down to it. Oh, now, by the way, I should mention uh, that this program is brought, being brought to you in conjunction with St. Joseph Radio and the St. Joseph Evangelization Network here in what we proudly like to call the Rome of the West, St. Louis, Missouri. Um, and, um, and we're very grateful to uh, St. Joseph Radio for lending us their studios for this podcast. Now, uh, today, uh, we're going to be talking about a certain current event, as we always do. We always pick some current event and then look at it through the prism of something that St. Paul uh, tells us, teaches us. And today, that's going to be a speech uh, that was given by um, the political leader, of uh, this country. Some months ago, it was given in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, where, you know, and it was, it was given, it was delivered in Independence Hall, where our Declaration of Independence was written, where our Constitution was debated and adopted. Um, basically, you know, the, um, the birthplace of American democracy. And this speech dealt with dangers to democracy. And we're going to be looking at that particular speech and the ideas contained in that speech. We never, on this program, what we always try to do is never, uh, never judge a person, never castigate or ridicule a person. We will take issue with ideas, uh, but, you know, that it's not for us to make um, any kind of a an assessment of a particular person. That is between uh, that individual and God. But we do talk about ideas. Um, and before we talk about this particular idea, you know, and basically, actually, you know what? I think uh, we need to do something a little bit different uh, from what we normally do on the, on the, on the podcast, Jim. Okay. Um, you know, normally, you know, we just dive right in. Um, but today, I think, since, you know, uh, you're here for the first time on the podcast and we're, we're starting something new, hopefully, you know, we'll be able to continue this and, and uh, you'll see your way clear to doing more of these with us. See, so if I, I think, see if I pass the audition. Well, I wasn't going to say that exactly, but <laughs> but yes, yes, there is a scoring system. 
um, and you'll be notified after the fact. Okay. No, um, but anyways, um, you know, I think you know, I think it's it, it's a good idea to take a step back and talk a little bit about you know what we're doing and do we even have the right to do it? I mean, what is it that we're really aiming for with this? Because we talk about things that are political. And, you know, people say, hey, you can't talk about religion and politics. Those are the things people never want to talk about um, in polite society. Well, we do talk about religion. Um, And so if we're going to do that, we might as well go all the way and talk about politics at the same time. (laughs) Is that okay? What is the role? I mean, in, in our legal political culture, um, it's a curious thing as to where religion actually fits in our societal discussions and debates. And um, this is something that is certainly not new. It's been, ta- you know, the, the role of religion is something that's been, you know, been with us ever since our country started. But it's also something that uh, the Venerable Fulton Sheen talked about. And he talked about this way back in 1947. And He basically said, yes, it was okay for religion to be concerned with politics at a certain point. And he drew a bit of a dividing line. And he said, when politics starts to deal with basic God-given rights, for example, freedom of religion or the dignity of the human person or so many other things that our Catholic theology deals with, when you're dealing with Uh, you know, people and the rights of people. When politics starts to enter into that sphere um, and, you know, and and deal with, you know, uh, ideas and and, and rights of people that our faith also deals with, then it's at that point where it's okay to talk about it. You know, if if you want to take sides with one political party over another political party— um, and they both respect basic, you know, God-given human rights, then you're being political. But, um, you know, if you're talking about, like I said, uh, you know, politics, a political system um, that, that deals with, you know, basic God-given rights, then you're not dealing with necessarily just a political system. What you're dealing with is almost, in effect, a counter-church. At least that's the way he saw communism in his day. Yeah, you could talk about communism. Yeah, you could criticize communism because they denied freedom of religion. They right. belied the basic, you know, God-given human dignity um, of each person. Um, they didn't see it as, as uh, the worth of an individual, something that came from God. And so we said, really, what you're dealing with is a counter-church, a different kind of religion, a different theology. And sure, the church and people in the church had the right to talk about that. And even back in 1947, he said, uh, with regard to our own American system, that it was okay to be talking about American politics. He said, quote, and this was back again, 1947, he said, quote, even our so-called liberal culture in the, in the United States, which has tried to avoid complete secularization by leaving little zones of individual freedom. That's what he, in 1947, he also, he saw uh, the infringement uh, on the growing uh, you know, force of secular culture to the point where it only left, even then, only little zones of individual freedom. He said the culture then is in danger of forgetting that these zones of freedom were preserved only because religion was in their soul. And as religion fades, so will freedom. For only where the Spirit of God is, is there liberty. So if it was okay for Bishop Sheen we think he would probably, hopefully, smile on uh, efforts to continue his his work. He was almost prophetic with that, you know, predicting. I mean, what he said then applied to communism, but it totally applies to so many things going on in our world today. He was prophetic. You're right. I mean, he was prophetic in so many things. Yeah, Yeah. he was. He was. Um, So maybe he was on the right track. I think he was. Maybe he was. (laughs) Um. Anyways, so we're going to talk about this dangers of democracy speech. But before we do, uh, we're going to take um, some uh, guidance from the writings, as we always do, of St. Paul, as if St. Paul were writing a letter to us here in America today. And uh, what we've got actually for our our reading today 
Um, our excerpt, I mean, it's kind of a conglomerate of different things taken from different readings from St. Paul, but these are all things that come uh, from uh, St. Paul with very, very minor little modifications. Uh, for example, we took the liberty of talking about the flesh and interposing the world words, uh, worldly desires for that. But other than very, very minute um, liberalities such as that, uh, these are, in fact, the thoughts and writings of St. Paul. Uh, so, uh, here we go. My brothers and sisters in America, as, you know, as if he would say that. I have accepted the loss of all things, and I consider them so much rubbish. Do not be conformed to this world. For worldly desires are against the spirit, and the spirit against them. Now, the fruit of worldly desires is obvious. Hatreds, rivalry, jealousy, outbursts of fury, dissensions, factions. I hear that when you meet, there are divisions among you. There have to be factions among you in order that those who are approved among you may become known. What can I say to you? Shall I praise you? In this matter, I do not praise you. For as in one body we have many parts, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually parts of one another. But if you go on biting and devouring one another, beware that you are not consumed by one another. Each of you will be requited, requited from the Lord for whatever good he does. You have a master in heaven, and with him there is no partiality. Okay, so as we said, uh, these are bits and pieces from a bunch of St. Paul's uh, writings. Um, but they do fit together, don't they? Yes, they do. They do fit together. I mean, we, see start, we start off with you know, him talking about things. Don't be concerned with the things of this world. Worldly desires are against the spirits. But then it's interesting. Okay, so worldly things. Don't be concerned with worldly things. You know, we hear uh, homilies, sermons, you know, preachings all the time about Hey, material goods, material possessions, don't get caught up with those. Don't make those the goal of your life. Keep your eye on the prize, right? Keep your focus on God. Keep your focus on uh, your salvation after your time on this, on this globe is, is, is done. Um, you know, how much money you have, how big of a, how important a job you have, your job title, you know, beating somebody out in the cor in the cor on the corporate ladder. I mean, just, yeah. you know, relax about those things. How, many, how often do we hear about those things? All the time. Yeah, we're all at some point guilty of it ourselves, too, of giving into the material world. And, and that's where we have to come, come back and realize that we're accountable for, for those things or for those thoughts and actions and that we have to first put, put God first, as he says. We have to put God first through, through everything we try to do. Yeah, and of course, if you keep your eye on that, then what happens is a is just sort of like a natural byproduct. Well, then you end up what you end up behaving in uh, a compassionate way towards other people. I mean, yeah. we're so concerned with so many laws and rules. I mean, my background is in the law. I'm a lawyer by trade, and we've got all kinds of laws and rules. And Congress writes more and more every day, and the regulations that the federal government puts out. I mean, they're you know volumes and volumes and volumes. Well, would we really need all of those if all of us, you know, kept our, you know, our coming accounting before God, you know, in the forefront of our thinking? I mean, you're absolutely right. right. I mean, you know, how much better would things be if we did that? But anyways, I mean, so if you're listening to this podcast right now and we're starting talking about material goods and all this stuff, and we told you that we're going to be talking about this dangers in democracy speech. You might be thinking, well, how are those two things going to get linked? Well, stay tuned because they are. As a matter of fact, they're going to get linked right now. Because what does St. Paul say next? What do we hear him also say? He says, what are the fruits? Okay, worldly desires, the flesh. What, you know, what are the fruits of those things? Hatreds, hatred, it's a feeling, rivalry, factions, dissensions, jealousy. He's talking about 
attitudes and feelings towards other people and people becoming split off and disunited from other people. Worldly desires. You know, if we have our mind focused on this material world, material goods, possessions, etc., what happens? We end up having animosities towards other people. We have envy. We have greed. We, you know, I mean, it's, it's actually going to put us in opposition with other people. So here's the thought. Here's the thought on this. Let's, let's follow this out. You have, we're, we're told, and we're, we're told not to uh, be conformed to this world. The, I mean, St. Paul, is, as the example, says, hey, I have accepted the loss of all things. Not only has he accepted the loss, but he, they're rubbish. He doesn't care about things anymore, material goods. Okay. Well, what if we have not just material possessions um, that we need to distance ourselves from, but what about possessions of the mind? That's actually our, our title for our podcast, Possessions of the Mind. What kind of, what kind of things would we want to cling on to as, in terms of mental? Uh, what, what, what things would we cling on to mentally that might not be Christian or, um, you know, congenial, for, you know, or helpful for other people. Well, what about resentments? What about being judgmental of other people? What about envy? What about pride where I, I look down uh, in a condescending fashion at another person? Um, these are possessions of the mind. I mean, they share something, don't they? Okay, I want uh, I want the I want I want the car to compete with my I want the car that that's good enough to compete with my neighbor. I want the bigger house because you know somebody else at work just bought a new house. I want this. I want that. I want more money. I want this. Okay. Well, if you have a resentment towards somebody else, the focus is still the same. The focus is I. Why do I have a resentment towards other somebody else? Well, he did something I don't like. He said something about me I didn't like. Um, I, 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 the focus is I. He didn't act the way I wanted. Okay, so now I've, I'm clinging to um, some desire to be treated differently, some desire for this person to act differently towards me. I, you know, it, the focus is still with me. Um, and, of course, that's not really Christian, is it? I mean, if you get away, f- that's why we're told to distance ourselves from material possessions and material goods. Because if we do that, then it's teaching us not to be concerned with I. Um, and, uh, and Paul makes that connection. Um, and why? Because he says, hey, we're all part of one bigger body of Christ. We're all parts of, of one larger whole. And so when we look at other people as more important than us, we're drawing them into like our sphere and we can become part of a bigger whole. We are, we are a united group. You know, I said before, hey, what if, you know, what if everybody behaved, you know, nicely towards everybody else? We wouldn't, would we need those rules? No. No, we wouldn't need rules. We wouldn't need laws. Well, you know, what's necessary for us to act that way towards other people? Well, we got to see them as important as us. They've got to be part of us. We've got to see ourselves as being part of something bigger, that we're all together. We're all in this together. Unity versus disunity. Um, because, and why not? You know, Paul. one of the other things Paul says is, hey, there is no partiality. Where, where is there's no partiality? There's no partiality with God. God doesn't judge some people as more important than other people. God doesn't look at somebody with one skin color and say, hey, they're more important than somebody with a different skin color. There is no partiality with God. And that is how we need to look at things. We've got to let go of these possessions of our minds. Um, I can relate to both of those things, both ways of of being possess the possessions of your mind because um when you're when you're possessing things in your mind of uh in the nature that you know you're not supposed to the material things of this world and it's taking you away from things it's taking you it's leading you away from god basically and um but then there are there's another possession of the mind that i have been slowly um 
going towards, and that I think it's a good thing, and that is the possession of the mind where we realize that we are doing something good in the church, for the church. Um, when I'm preparing for, say, an RCIA session on Sunday mornings that we give, and it's like I'll wake up at 3 o'clock in the morning then, and I'll have thoughts in my head that are, that are good and joyful, and I'm, I'm, I'm eager to spread that. And that's when those are the kind of possessions of the mind that I'm trying to hold on to. There are good ones as opposed to the bad ones. Exactly. Yeah. And, and, but I still have both. You know, I'm still, we, like we all, you know, we are human, so we can't be perfect, all the, can't be good all the time, I guess. It's, it's, it's not going to be easy until, <laughs> right. Right, until we're done here. Right. Um, yeah, because where you spend your time mentally, that becomes who you are if you spend yes. more of your time. Right. Right. Um, okay. So how does this relate to this, this, uh, this speech that was given about the dangers to democracy? Actually, I think it was entitled something, Battle for the Soul of the Nation. And in this particular speech, what was said was that one political party was dominated by a certain type of person and that that's whole that the whole party this entire there's only there are two political parties in this country two i mean there are others but two of consequence um and the speech indicated that that entire the opposing party that the entire political party was bad for the country that it was um a danger uh, some of the comments made in the, the speech were um, that um, it was uh, characterized by by lies, by a multitude of lies, um, and that it was in fact, um, yeah, and basically because of that party, democracy itself was, quote, under assault, um, that um, it uh, that that party threatened the very foundations of our republic, um, and uh, also that that particular party wanted everyone else to fail. Uh, that it was characterized um, by hate. Um, you know, so these are the kinds of things that were said about the opposing political party, and um, it was suggested that everybody had to join, um, you know, join with, um, uh, the, you know, our political leader, the president, uh, join with him against that party. So the question is, if you're a Catholic, and you want to go about your life, um, you know, trying to live a good, faithful Catholic life, put your faith into works. If you wanted to try to look at things through the Catholic lens, what's your reaction to a speech like that? Is that, is that okay? Is this speech just politics, you know, for politics' sake? Is this kind of thing that was, it's always been done? It's just political spin. There's no harm to it. And, you know, that it's not really... Uh, it's not really for us to actually, you know, judge that speech. That's just that's a political thing, and it's not you know it's not really something that we need to to care about. Or if we're supposed to care about it, is it right? Is it wrong? Can we can we think about whether or not something like that, the things that were said, are right or wrong? And if in fact, and so let's let's play this out. Here's the thought. You know, what, the thing that is wrong with uh, being concerned with material goods and worldly goods is that the focus is on you. It's on me. It's on I. It's what I want. I want this. I want that. As opposed to the Christian focus, which is on the other person. Okay. Well, when you have possessions of the mind and you make judgments, you, make resen you have resentments uh, against other people, you can extend that to a group around you. Somebody says something bad about my wife, my kids. Okay, well, now I resent you because of what you said about my kid. So I can extend these me-centered desires to people around me, to people in my group. It's not just me. I can have possessions of the mind, not just about me, 
but about people in a group that I choose to associate with and care about. Well, if you can do that for your family, extend it further. You can extend it to uh, people in your neighborhood. Uh, you can extend it to, you know, your local football team as opposed to the other football team, which is perfectly allowable, by the way. Uh, but, but, but you can extend it to people who think differently than you politically, people that are in a political group that is not your political group. And if it's right, if it is right that we should think of ourselves as all being part of a bigger family and we should not let possessions, things that we, you know, things that are focused from our perspective get in the way of, you know, our relationships with other people, then things that tend to divide us um, is not a good thing. It's, it doesn't produce a good result. You know, uh, why would St. Paul say we're all part, you know, we're all parts of one larger body? The hand can't say to the, the foot, you know, no, I don't need you. No, we need each other. You know, does it not, does not it just seem correct and right and, 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 and proper that we're all, you know, part of this, the same group? Is it all part of, of one larger family that start to blit us apart? I remember, okay, I'm old enough to remember the 1970s. And uh, the Russians, you know, were the bad guys. They were, they were you know, uh, they were our enemy. And then yeah. President Nixon went over to Russia. And guess what? You know, he met people in the street, common, common people. We got to see Russian people on TV. And guess what? You know, they liked good food. They, you know, they liked, uh, you know, to, to pick flowers and, you know, they liked good art. They liked the, th I mean, they were regular people. They liked the things that we liked. I mean, you know, I mean, well, why not? Of course. Of course. So, anyways, that's... Um, There's a story that goes back that, that uh, Sister Teresa brought up at RCIA about the Russian through that time in the Cold War and how the church sustained through it a lot in part by the Russian, by the grandmothers who were Catholic of, of the Russian children and that they were keeping the faith in their homes even though they were being oppressed by the political party at that time. It's really a beautiful story she told about that. Sure, sure. Um, and yeah, they wanted to be part of something bigger. The philosophy uh, at that time was, no, you're, you're not bound by love. You are workers uh, for the state. Your value is dependent upon how much work and how much you yeah. can contribute from a work point of view to the state. Uh, and they wanted to, you know, they wanted to be part of a group that was that, that included religion, so that there was there was love in the mix. That you could be part. I mean, that you could be connected to other people through faith uh, with love. I mean, whether or not, well, it's a beautiful thing about our Catholic Church. I mean, yes. it's all over the world, and yes. we can be connected to people in Kenya. We can be connected to connected to people in uh, who belong to the Eastern Orthodox Church in Russia or, or whatever. We can. They're our brothers. Right. We can, you know, we can be connected to uh, Christians. You're not Catholic, but but you're Christian. Uh, you're Baptist. Hey, you have a different skin color. I'm white. You're black, or you're black, and uh, or I'm black and you're white. But we both, you know, have Christ as our as our Savior. Guess what? You know, uh, we're a family. I mean, right. you think Christ would say anything different? I mean, of course not. Um, so, um, you know. And another way to look at this sort of thing is, if we're right about this, that preaching division is not as good as preaching unity. I mean, let me let me, let me back up. Um, you know, I, I feel you know it's incumbent to say, and it's, it's perfectly right and proper and and deserving to say, that the president of the United States, when he gave this speech, um. You know, probably you know was very sincere in thinking that there are things that are a danger to this country, and that he had to call them out. That he was doing some public service, and that he was very sincere in his beliefs. Uh, that other people were refusing to recognize elections. That other people were promoting, 
you know, violence, uh, like on January 6th and this and that. But, you know, people on the other side of the aisle could say the same thing, right? They could say, well, you know, but there are political protests uh, on the other side where uh, violence is, is done um, in our, uh, you know, lot, you know, or you could say that they can point to other cases where other elections were challenged by the other party. You know, most of the time, you can always work these things two ways. And I think that's, I think that's the beauty of this idea that unity is better than, than disunity. Uh, when is there a situation where somebody is definitely wrong and the other person is definitely right 100%? You know, I mean, we can always find fault. If we want to, we can find fault with the other people. Is it not sometimes better? Um, you know, to look at the things that hold us, bring us together. There is, I mean, we said that, you know, one of the things we do on this, this program is we take St. Paul's writings, his ideas, his, his, his beliefs, his teachings. We apply them to things that are going on in our world today. And we ask, hey, whether or not, you know, they make sense just by virtue of, you know, our, our ability to reason things. But another way we, we test ideas out is whether or not something produces a good result or a bad result. There is a famous story that goes back to World War I. It was December 24, 1914. The war had been going strong for uh, the better part of, of that particular year. Hundreds of thousands of people had already died. It was Christmas Eve. And guess what? Germans started singing Christmas carols in their trenches. And then the English in their trenches started to sing Christmas carols. And the next, you know, and the Germans started putting up Christmas trees. Um, the Kaiser had sent Christmas trees, Tannenbaum, to the soldiers at the front lines, and they started to put them on top of their parapets. And the next morning, they climbed out of their trenches. They actually met these people that were trying to kill each other just the day before, climbed out of their trenches. They met in what was called no man's land, where you didn't, where you didn't stick your head up if you didn't, you know, unless you wanted, to, you know, wanted to have it get shot off. And they exchanged cigarettes. They exchanged food and drink. They even somebody even uh, brought out a, a football, a soccer ball, and they were kicking that around. They were trying to kill each other, and then they decided no. And in the aura of Christmas, under the umbrella of the Christian message of Christmas, they found uh, at least uh, uh, at least a point, at least some little time, where they could be friendly with one another, where they could see the things that, in which they were similar, in which, which united them, as opposed to the war, which was disuniting them. And then, of course, after that, guess what happened? Well, the generals didn't like this. And on both sides, the generals instituted rules against fraternization among the troops. How, you know, you can't have peace no, we need to. We need to. We need to fight. We need the war, um, <laughs> you know. Yeah. But you know, something was just seemed just so right to those guys to climb out of those trenches and at least even for a time to look at the uh, look at the people on the other side as as brothers, as friends instead of enemies. Right. It's in our human nature to to always seek God. Right. It's it's born into all of us. Right. As children of God. I mean. Whether you're Catholic or whatever religion, we're all children of God, right? I mean, so I mean, that's I think that uh, just proves it right there that they they were seeking God by sharing Christmas with the enemy. It's beautiful. You're right, though. I mean, there is something in us. There's something in us that that just seems right. Yeah. What is in us that produces that? Um, I mean, you know, I mean, we've all, 
you know, we're all creations of God. We're all given a soul. We all are nothing until the thought, until God has the thought to create this particular person. And each particular person he creates is completely unique. But we're united because we all came from the same place. We came from the same creator. Yeah, there's something that connects us. And at those strange moments, when we feel the connection between us, it's like you step back and you're like, wow, you know. Um, yeah. I mean, there are, there are more stories like that. Here's, a, here's an old one. Uh, this goes back to uh, Ireland, I think, in 1492. Now, there is an Irish phrase, and I didn't really know this Irish phrase before this, but there's an Irish phrase called chancing one's arm. Chancing one's arm. And a lot of times, you know, I haven't, maybe I haven't heard a phrase before, but you can kind of guess what that means. Well, this one I was like, mm, I'm not so sure. What, what, what could that mean? Well, here's what happened. Uh, there was a group called the Ormans and a group called the Kildares, and they were having a little feud. And the uh, da, 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 the uh, Earl of Ormond and his followers took refuge inside St. Patrick's Cathedral. They barricaded themselves in there um, so that, you know, they wouldn't get killed. <laughs> Anyways... Um, the Earl of Kildare and his followers um, instituted a siege of the cathedral. And uh, as the siege wore on, I don't know over what period of time, but as it wore on after some period of time, the Earl, you know, he thought something occurred to him. You know, they both worshiped the same God. He's laying siege to a cathedral. <laughs> he believes in Jesus Christ. These people that are barricaded inside, they believe in Christ, and something just didn't seem right to him anymore about continuing this feud. So he called out, and he told the Earl of Ormond that he would undertake on his honor that the Earl of Ormond should receive no villainy, as it was, uh, to use the jargon of the day. Uh, he would No villainy would be perpetrated upon him, right? Well... The uh, Earl of Ormond wasn't quite so sure about this. He thought maybe this was just some treachery, just some ruse to get him to come out of the cathedral. So he didn't respond. Well, not being satisfied with that, the Earl of Kildare took his spear and apparently punched or cut some kind of a hole in the door to the cathedral. And as a show of uh, trust, he stuck his hand through. Stuck his hand through knowing that on the other, on the other side, someone could take a sword maybe, you know, cut that arm off. He was making himself vulnerable. He stuck his hand through, and that was enough. The Earl of Ormond uh, grasped the uh, Earl of Kildare's hand that was stuck through that hole in the door, and the siege was over, and that is the, or uh, the origin of the phrase, chancing one's arm. Um, so how did that happen? So at some point, the Earl of Kildare thinks, you know what? Something just isn't right. Um, yeah, I can see what I, I, I can spend all of my mental activity upon what what this guy, this this Earl of Ormond, did to tick me off. I mean, you know why we dislike him, why I resent him. You know, I've got these ideas that I won't let go of. These are the possessions in my mind. I won't let go of these ideas. This hatred, this resentment, this this animosity toward that other guy, I'm grabbing real hard inside my head. I'm not going to let go of those. But then at some point he did let go. And what made him let go? Christ. The idea that both of them, they were part of a bigger group, a bigger family. And that produced a result. Um, another story I like. Here's another one. I'll give you another one. Ernest Hemingway wrote a short story called The Capital of the World. And the capital of the world at this particular time was Madrid, Spain. Okay. This is a story about uh, a guy who's uh, having a fallout with his father. And he wants to be a matador. And his father doesn't want him to be a matador. Well, he runs away uh, to be he runs away to the capital, Madrid, to become a matador. So his father, this father and the son, the father disowns him. I don't want to I don't want to talk to you anymore, you know, et cetera, et cetera. 
Um, you know, he rejected his, his father and what his father's plans were, and the father rejected him, and so on and so forth. Well, at some point, his father felt the urge to reconcile with his son. So his father travels to Madrid, and he puts an ad in a local newspaper. The classified ad says simply this, quote, Dear Paco, meet me in front of the Madrid newspaper office tomorrow at noon. All is forgiven. I love you. Close quote. The next day at noon, the father goes to uh, the newspaper office. And there, and now Paco was, um, Paco was like Paul. Paul it was, at that time, it was a very common name in Spain. So anyway, she puts his ad in the newspaper, goes there the next day at noon to the newspaper office, and you know what he finds? There's 800 people named Paco. <laughs> All is forgiven. I love you. I mean, who doesn't have dissensions, factions, um, you know, uh, splits that, that have occurred inside, inside a family? Um, I mean, when... when that's, that short story from Hemingway speaks to something, does it not? It speaks to the fact that, you know, we can have these things. I mean, how, many times, how many people have you heard about, I'm not talking to that person anymore. I'm not speaking with him. Oh, yeah. Well, how long have you not been speaking to your son? That's uh, 10 years. Uh, well, you know, I mean, isn't it long enough? Don't you want to reach out to him? No, he's going to have to reach out to me, et cetera, et cetera. Right. I mean, hey, did you see the movie um, Home Alone? And that first movie, Home Alone, you've got the neighbor, the old man, who the, the little boy, the star of the, of the movie, is deathly afraid of because, you know, he's, you know, he's, he's, you know, some strange things go on in that old man's house. But then he happens to meet that old man, where? In church, by the way. And uh, old man tells him he hasn't spoken to his son for a long time. And Matthew McConaughey, Kevin McAllister, says, uh, well, wh why not? Well, you know, well, I'm afraid, you know, that if I reach out to my son, he's going to reject me. And he says, I think, uh, you know, Kevin says something like, well, aren't you, be, aren't you a little old to be playing games? I mean, you know, I mean, what's the worst that could happen? He could say no, but how are you going to know unless you try? And the end of the movie comes, and of course, you know, he does try, and he reconciles with his son. But, you know, we grab onto these things. No, that person's going to have to call me first. I'm not going to call. I'm not talking. I'm not speaking to that person. That person did something to me. I'm not paying. You know, no, no, no. And we grab hold with all of our mental might. It's a possession. We're not letting it go. We want to hold this righteous indignation against this other person. And we're right and they're wrong. And you, and you end up be, being distant from that person. I mean, you can come up with more stories like this. But the, the fact is, you know, it's like um, this is what we need to guard against. This is what we need to take a look at. Um, somebody, wrote a, somebody wrote a piece on reconciliation. And they said something about you know, reconciliation and forgiveness. And if you're harboring, you know, you know, some, if there's some kind of split in your family, you're harboring some ill will against somebody else. Look at yourself first. We can spend a lot of time thinking about what that other person did wrong to me. Well, how often do we think about what we did wrong to the other person? And if we actually took a little inventory, we might find that it evens out or that maybe even we've done more that could be considered wrong. Um, you know, it's letting go. Yeah, life's too short, isn't it? Yeah, well, life's it is. too precious and too short. Yeah. Time, time doesn't stop when uh, in those times. I mean, time is just too precious. It never stops. It keeps going, and you can't uh, take it for granted. You can't. No. Um, yeah. But again, how... You know, I mean, all those years that get wasted by somebody who's not talking to the son, daughter, mother, father, et cetera, all those years that are wasted, um, what can keep that from happening? Excuse me. How about we're all parts of one body in Christ? Um, how about, um, you know, what, what we started with 
um, and St. Paul, you know, tells us, um, you know, uh, don't be conformed to this world. Don't be so worried about this world. Um, hatreds, rivalry, jealousy, dissensions, factions. Um, so he says, he's talking to the people in uh, the Corinth at this time. He writes this letter, these people in Corinth. I hear that when you meet, there are divisions among you. Uh, and he says, there have to be factions. There have to be factions in order that those who are approved may become known. Those who are approved. There's a dividing line between people that are approved and those that are not approved. Well, we've had a lot of that in this country. There are periods of time when uh, if your skin color was red, if you're a Native American Indian, you were not approved. There was a time when your skin color is black. You're not approved. And with, in some places with some people today, yeah, that's still true. Uh, and I'm going to go way out on a limb and say, if your skin color is white, to some black people, you're not approved. It doesn't, it's not just one way. You know, the civil, uh, here's another way of, of thinking of this. This occurred to me as I was uh, thinking about preparing for this program and so forth. Um, you know, the idea of being part of, of something bigger, the idea of unity versus uh, disunity. Um, there's another example. Uh, this seems like a little kind of an intellectual thing. But, for example, we're talking about race relations. Um, obviously, the Civil War in the history of this country is a huge moment dealing with the pivotal moment dealing with race relations. And, of course, it didn't fix it because, you know, the problems continued and, you know, to some extent still continue better than before, but still continue. Um, but better than before. Better than before. Right. I mean, I don't you think. Yeah, it's got to be. Um, but anyways, but in talking about the Civil War, on a purely intellectual basis, no feelings, no emotion, but just on intellect now, some historians say that the reason for the war was North versus South. It was the Confederacy versus the United States. It was preserving the Union. That it was not really about slavery. It was preserving the Union. Other historians will argue that the purpose of the war was abolition, that, that slavery was um, the purpose for the war. Okay, how about we take that intellectual debate and we say, you're both right. How about you say both answers are, uh, are right? The Civil War cannot be explained adequately or fully by uh, North and South uh, as a cause or black and white as the cause, but it was both. What if you think about the, the war being fought North and South and black and white? North, South, black, and white. Doesn't that describe the nation? You've got the geography of the nation and you've got the people in the nation. Uh, white and black people in the North, white and black people in the South. That was the nation. Uh, that just seems, yeah. Uh, you know, you, that seems the more logically correct way to look at it. It's not just North versus South. It's not just black versus white. There's all of it at the same time. Doesn't that just seem to make more sense? It just, it just does. Um, so anyways, it's, it's, it, again, it, you know, where can you find the truth? Where can we find the truth? Um, is, is there such a thing as truth? Is it true that being united is being better than being divided? You know, Lincoln's, if we're going to go back to the Civil War, let's go back to Lincoln. A house divided cannot stand. A house divided against itself will not last. And, of course, where did he have, was that an original idea of his? No. He got that out of Scripture. That came from the Bible as well. Truth, real truth, comes from God. The first, primary, the first truth that we, you know, the first truth that we all, have, that we all you know, whether, whether we accept it or not, the first truth that applies to all of us is, hey, there is a God and he loves us. Um, that's true. Um, and if you don't believe, you know, that's true, uh, then maybe you don't believe, you know, some of these things in the Bible. Maybe you don't believe 
that it's better to be united versus divided. Uh, maybe you don't believe that these guys in World War One should have, uh, you know, exchanged some Christmas gifts or some Christmas cheer. Uh, maybe you maybe you think it's better for a son and a father to be divided, you know, all the time. I mean, no, there are truths. It is better for fathers and sons to be united versus divided, and it's better for a nation to be united rather than divided. Anyways, that's Amen. our program. Uh, that, that's our program for today. We are so glad that you did uh, uh, join us for this, for this podcast. We hope that you found it provocative. Uh, we hope that you found it uh, perhaps even, I don't know, entertaining, perhaps entertaining. I'd like to think it might be uh, at, least, uh, at least entertaining on an intellectual level. Uh, but uh, that's what we do here, and that's what we'll be doing again, looking at uh, current events in our country through the, through the prism of our Catholic faith, and specifically the writings of St. Paul. If he were alive, uh, would he not want to write a letter to us here in America? And as we close this podcast, we're going to close it as we always do with a closing prayer. And uh, Jim, since you started the program with a prayer, you know what? Maybe I'll take a shot at giving us, uh, okay. as you opened it with a prayer, maybe I'll take a shot at closing us with a prayer. So in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. amen. Uh, dear Lord in heaven, please help us to relax uh, our possessions of the mind that divide us from other people, whatever they may be. Help us to always see other people that we don't agree with, we don't associate with, we don't think of as being part of our group. Um, help us to look at them with love and compassion. Help us to always regard them as more important than ourselves. Help us to do, to do that in imitation of you um, when you met with the tax collectors and the people, the sinners, and the people that were looked down upon in society at that time. Help us to follow your example. Help us to do it with true compassion towards everyone we meet. Help us to do it uh, because of our love for you, trusting with confidence always in your sincere love, your unquenchable love uh, for us, for which we are ever so grateful. Amen. In the name of the Father, Amen. and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you. Until next time, God bless.